620 Live, so that we may all speak boldly. Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope that you all had a very Merry Christmas and hope that you all have a very good and safe New Year. It's time to get back to our seven blessings of Revelation study. So let's get back to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. Now we are talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So let's continue to go over some of the Jewish marriage customs here. And admittedly I did not go into like extreme in-depth detail because it could get tedious and you know get rather for lack of a better term boring so um, I did get some of these and you know we'll uh, we'll talk about you know some of them list them and you know go from there but uh, here are some Jewish marriage customs and with this one, it's not for love, but to benefit both families. Now, we just got through with Christmas, and, you know, we know that Joseph and Mary were betrothed, which, you know, was, for, for all intents and purposes, they were married, but had not consummated the marriage. Now, and this tells us here this, you know, marrying for benefit of both families. You know, we see that a lot in ancient times, such as with, you know, princesses, princesses and um, princes, you know, um, dukes and duchesses and people of nobility would you know marry for for treaties for you know um, gaining some power you know for wealth for land you know for, for a variety of different reasons but in essence it would benefit both parties involved and you know I'm not saying that they did not love each other nor am I saying that they would not grow to love each other you know given time or or over time how you know you want to say that but what I am saying is in the beginning it started out as you know a beneficial thing for both families involved now the the way that the Jewish people would do it is that fathers of the bride and and groom would begin with the betrothal or in engagement and you know much like today you know whenever someone gets married they you know typically get engaged uh, before they get married I'm sure there are some cases where people just said you know hey you want to get married and then they get married but you know that's 
still there you are you know getting engaged no matter how long but the engagement or the betrothal process here for the Jewish people would typically last you know a year or so um, and in a, a lot of cases according to this research that I did and please forgive me if I <laughs> not really sound surprised but um, it has been a little bit since I looked back at this because I have done a lot of the research and then you know um, come back to doing this recording and it's not really that I've forgotten it but you know with the holiday season and everything it's uh, your mind's not exactly here but not exactly not here at the same time but uh, the bride and groom may never have met and like I was saying about the nobility of you know prince and princess and other such nobility they may never have met they may have met before and I, I'm guessing that you know in some cases they could even have known each other for their whole life you know um, each case is different each situation is different so um, but there are evidently some cases in where neither party has ever met before um, betrothals here you know could happen even at a young age uh, the the groom's father would pay the price for the bride and it is called and I am assuming that I am pronouncing this correctly Mohar which is you know how my screen reader says it I guess it could be Mohar uh, either way um, M-O-H-A-R that's again that's M-O-H-A-R and it is yeah I guess depending on the female in question you know would depend on how much the Mohar's value was because unlike in today's society marriages then were male and female the and let's um, look at this here here as uh, I continue down my note the groom would give a gift to the bride called a matin and again that's you know assuming that I'm pronouncing this correctly and it's M-A-T-T-A-N again that's M-A-T-T-A-N and it the gift would become part of the property that the bride would bring into the marriage so if you if you think about it in one aspect the the groom is giving them both a gift or you know it could be something that he wanted and whenever he gave it to the bride she would bring it back to the marriage um so you know it's kind of like uh, for lack of a better way to explain it, in fact, I think this is a pretty good way to explain it. It's a gift for the household. You know, a gift for the the couple. Um, 
the gift that the groom would give was not always money, but it could be like property or services, I guess, you know, um, like some of the property could be, say, uh, cattle, goats, you know, sheep, something along those lines. Um, services could be like, um, you know, I, I guess sewing, um, gardening, pot, uh, pot making, glass making, you know, um, blacksmithing, things along those lines as well. And, uh, the betrothal that couples went through was as binding as the actual marriage was um and what what would happen whenever these people or these couples would become betrothed uh is that they would have witnesses actually come and watch them sign a like a marriage contract um a legal binding document that was called Katuba, and that—that uh, that is, um, I'm going to spell it for you here. So, you know, if you want to look it up and see the actual spelling, you can. That's K-E-T-U-B-A-H. K-E-T-U-B-A-H. And it—it it was a very common practice for you back in that time for the for the bride to join the groom's household like um like would actually go like live with their them at their house or you know uh go stay with them um and it it was like they would go and, and live, or the bride would go and live with the groom and his family rather than starting their own, you know, household. And it's kind of like, for lack of a better way to explain it, and I don't know, I've said that a lot here in this podcast, and, and forgive me, the, the family would stay together. Family meant a lot to them, so... You know, it was, it was very important to them. Um, if the bride and groom were of a marriageable age, the groom would, would return back to his father's house to begin building an addition onto the house in which he lived at. And that process would take around a year's time and what it means by marriageable age uh you know some places they're 17 you're legal adult some places 18 you know the age range varies but basically what i interpreted from this is that you know if the groom was able to start building onto the household uh to the actual home then that's what he did I'm not, I'm sure that, you know, most houses were not packed in like they are in today's society. Maybe they were. Um, I'm not 100% sure there. But I wonder what they would do if there was no room to build, like, out. Uh, I wonder if they would, like, 
you know, then go like higher, you know, build like another floor on, on to it. Uh, interesting to to think about there. Um, the time actually could take longer than a year. Um, like I said, typically it did take a year, but uh, the groom's father would be the one to say, "Hey, you better have this done in, you know, one year, or you have a year and a half to get this done, or you know, whatever, you know, time he deemed." appropriate or you know uh, adequate for his son to get it done is how long he would take for it to take and from what I can gather here uh, the son built it himself um, I'm not I don't think that he would have had help building it because it was you know, something he was doing for the marriage uh, Upon the time, you know, whenever it was complete, the the uh, the groom would go to get his bride, and his bride would not know the time or the hour. Um, would not know the time that her husband would be coming to get her, because the time was between the father and the son, and the when the groom would return or would go get his bride it was traditionally announced with a loud trumpet call and the shout so that the bride regardless of how little time it was had some forewarning that this was fixing to take place and Something that uh, I've really seen here taking place recently is that the wedding ceremony was rather small. You know, the I'd be willing to say like the immediate family, like you know, father, mother, brother, sisters, um, probably the grandparents. You know, but probably no more than that. Um, maybe the best friend of either one. You know, and I'm putting this like in modern day terms. Um, but it, but the actual ceremony itself and the party that was involved with the ceremony, you know, the people, was typically small. But now, where they may have skimped on the party that was invited to the actual wedding ceremony they did not skimp whenever it came to the wedding reception you know it was a lot larger um much much larger and i've been to several uh wedding receptions and some that had actual meals provided at it some that were finger foods um some that, you know, had uh, no dancing, you know, some that had a lot of dancing. Um, so I, I'm sure, just like in today's world, how, you know, the receptions are different, uh, you know, between each marriage. I'm, I'm sure receptions varied back then as well. Um, the groom's family would provide the 
waiting reception and keep track of this you know the groom providing the reception um you know the groom family providing the reception the groom doing this the groom doing that the bridegroom or the bride does not know the time because it's going to correlate with jesus and god as we are the bride of christ and we do not know the time that he will finish preparing the place and the pre preparing of the place goes to you know the groom going back to his father's house jesus going back to heaven to build to prepare a place for us just like the groom would go back to his father's house and prepare you know a an addition on to the house you know um and i don't want us to forget either here you know jesus performing his first miracle at the uh wedding reception where he turned the water into wine and you know if you want to reference that you can go to john chapter 2 uh verses 1 through 12. let me make sure that yeah john chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. um and like i was just saying you know uh you keep track of the bride the groom and, and stuff um while i was just going through with the marriage and the betrothal and things like that um in his time that jesus was here on earth he often used a lot of the jewish marriage customs as references to you know things that he was saying things that he was going to do things that were you know happening um and like I was saying, uh, God's relationship to his church is, you know, we are the bride. Um, and you can look at um, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, um, for, you know, more reference on that. And, and like I said, he's currently preparing a place for us, which is John chapter 14, verse 3. He mentions that as well. And at a future time, which no one knows, which goes back to the bride not knowing when her husband is, you know, coming to get her, um, is, uh, you know, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. And that's whenever he will return, you know, Jesus will return for his bride with a trumpet sound and shout and... You know, we can find that, you know, and other references as well throughout the Bible. Um, in First Thessalon Thessalonians, you know, chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Um, and like I said, there's, there's a bunch of other references in here as well. And, you know, uh, we will be taken back to the Father's house. And you know we'll, um, will we? Oh, excuse me, <laughs> where we will be joined forever with the Lord. And and that's uh, Revelation chapter nineteen, verse seven. And we will, you know, of course, then take part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
and yeah, this will uh, conclude our, you know, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, uh, this particular blessing, because, uh, well, one, I've ran out of the notes that I took. I finished the, uh, the note section, but, um, you know, we're going to be moving on to the next one here, and uh, you can listen to that next week, of course. And thank everybody for listening, as always, and be sure to, you know, like, share, and subscribe, and I know that's going to be in the, uh, the outro here, but, you know, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, hope you've learned a little bit of something. I know I did as I was, uh, preparing notes for this, and, uh, hope everyone has a very blessed week, and I'll, uh, talk to you later. Hey. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You know, it means a lot to me. I just ask that you please like, share, rate, review, and if you want to keep up with each and every one of the podcasts, be sure to subscribe as well. You can visit us on the web at www.620lifepodcast.com. Again, that's www620 L-I-F-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com.